Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Scott Reeb. Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, Henry. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you. Today, um, Scott's going to share his entrepreneurial journey. He's an attorney, and so he's going to share how he transformed his practice from a traditional model to what he's doing today in a much more leveraged model and offering a subscription plan. And then we're going to dive into, as he calls it, how to shatterproof your business from a legal perspective. Uh, to receive more information about the how of business, including links to the show notes for this episode, you can now text biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. That's biz, just text that word to 31996. So Scott is an attorney, as I said. He's also a popular speaker, a coach, and the author of the book, Five Proven Strategies to Shatterproof Your Business. Scott's known as America's Legal Coach. He's one of the official Zig Ziglar Small Business Lawyers, a Zig Ziglar Legacy Certified Trainer, and he has over 20 years of experience as an attorney. For the last two decades, Scott has been helping business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches, and service providers to shatterproof their business and succeed in the professional world. And we'll talk about what he means by shatterproofing a business. Uh, Scott is a firm believer that seeking legal advice doesn't have to be intimidating or expensive, which is, again, one of the main reasons why us as small business owners avoid it, which is a bad thing, and why he should treat lawyers, he says, like primary care doctors instead of ER doctors. He'll explain what he means there. And so he has a subscription-based program called Access Plan for Legal Services, and he's making great strides in shifting that perspective of how we look at attorneys as small business owners. Scott lives in Denton, Texas, which is right up I-35 from where I live here in the Dallas area. And so once again, Scott Reeb, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Great to have you. We were just commiserating about the rainy, cold weather as we record this in December 2018. Um, and we're hoping for some sunshine, right? We are, but it's, I guess it kind of feels like Christmas. Yeah, that's true. It does put you in the mood for it. My daughter just came home from school yesterday. She goes up in Indiana, and so it's a lot colder up there. So relatively speaking, it's not too bad. And the storm that just went past us, I guess, went north of us, which is good. That's true. Yeah. All right. So when did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? You know, I started pretty early. Uh, I'm going to say junior high. I can remember a career day where one of the local lawyers came in and gave his uh, presentation on why everyone should should be a lawyer. <laughs> and it uh, it kind of jumped out at me that he was a very influential person in our small community. Mm. And that was pretty attractive to me. Yeah, that caught your attention. Yeah, it really did. The I didn't understand what kind of work he really would do as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. That wasn't clear. But what was clear is everyone thought he was important. And then as I've gotten older and in more into business, the, uh, the power of influence has become really clear to me. Uh, and I've tried to really focus on having a positive influence on the people around me and the business owners that we work with. And so I was kind of right in junior high that that position really did have a lot of influence. I just didn't understand how. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, as small business owners, we, we need to be knowledgeable of the law. We need the help of attorneys. It's, it's a, 
I think a constant need that we have. But as, as I pointed out in the bio, we're hesitant. A lot of us are for a lot of reasons, including the cost. Um, some of us are hesitant because we think the attorney is going to tell us why we should not do something we want to do. Uh, so all of those are challenges that you've helped a lot of business owners overcome. The thing that's curious from a business perspective, as far as your practice goes, you've done something that a lot of people, attorneys, doctors, accountants, a lot of people that, you know, to put it crudely, trade time for money, right? Your billable hours, and you only have so many of those. That's such a challenge. Uh, consultants, same thing, business coaches. You've made that transition, though, into a more leveraged model. Tell me about how that came about. In, in 2012, we, we had a problem here at the law firm in that we, we were only trading uh, time for money, as you said, and we had a lot of business clients that were using us for litigation issues, mm -hmm. and then they would go away and we would never hear from them again until their business was on fire and they called us to put it out. And so we really started to go into the drawing board to figure out why are they not calling us before they make the mistakes that put them into litigation. And it really came down to the one thing is that they, every time they call a lawyer, they feel like money is flying out of their pockets. And that's because the, of the traditional model uh, of being billed, not just by the hour, but you know, by the minute and second. Right. And so it created a disincentive to get the legal information that a business owner needs to make the best decision possible. Yeah. And so that, you know, that leads to this analogy that I mentioned in the bio of treating uh, lawyers like primary care providers versus ER doctors. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah, so to kind of connect that the dots there, um, I I believe that, that to, as a business owner, you need to have the right information at the right time to make the best possible decision. And I related that to my health care, that when if I want to stay healthy, live a long life, and uh, be productive, I need to make sure that I'm monitoring you know, my blood pressure, my cholesterol, all those things. And the only way you can do that is to have a continuing uh, relationship with a, a physician that can help you monitor those things and then make the adjustments. Yeah. Well, business really isn't any different. We need to make sure that our businesses are healthy. And the only way to do that is to have the right professionals monitoring that with you. And one of them uh, is a business lawyer. And the only way you they can really know what's going on in your business is if you have a relationship with them where you're having kind of a constant back and forth communication. Right. As opposed to, like you said, waiting until I'm in trouble or mm -hmm. uh, it's too late or whatever. And so that's typically the way we look at it as business owners, because again, it's because of the expense primarily in my experience. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's seen, it's seen as a, it's seen as an expense instead of an investment. Um, because you're doing it after the fact, right? You're, you're in trouble now. So now we have to spend money to get out of trouble rather than invest money to stay out of trouble. Right. But, but even if I do look at it, an investment, which you're right in that perspective, I simply can't afford to, you know, be paying somebody, whatever their billable rate is um, just to bounce questions off of, or what about this, or should we do it this way? And so we don't do that, right? We, we, we get other sources of information or we play attorney sometimes and that's what gets us in trouble. Um, so let, let's start getting into it. I, I'd like if we could start with one or two of those strategies that you help people with to, to shatter. Maybe let me take a step back, actually. What, let's get a definition of what you mean by shatterproofing a small business. Sure. Everybody's familiar with the shatterproof glass that we have all around us. You know, that concept started out actually being used in gas masks in, in, the, in the First World War. 
trying to keep the gas out of everyone's eyes. Mm -hmm. um, now we have that kind of glass in our cars with the idea of the rocks that are flying all over the highways don't come through our windshields and hit us in the face, right? Instead, it marks it with that little star that we've all seen and you can go deal with it later. You get to keep driving down the road. Well, in business, we want, there's also rocks that come flying at our business. We want them to hit our business windshield, mark it so that we can then deal with it um, you know, as we go and be proactive with it, not to interrupt our schedule. And we want to build your business in that way to where it's protected. And we call that shatterproofing the business. The first strategy that, that we ask our clients to use, and we've already touched on it, is that you need to have five key advisors in your business. The, the first key advisor that you need to have in, in my mind is you need to have a CPA or accountant that can help you with the money side of business. Um, the whole reason you're in business is to make money. We need to have someone that knows how to help us account for it, how to operate um, some accounting software, how to, how to control our cash flow, how to look at financial reports and know what we're doing. Um, the second uh, important relationship to have is a banking relationship. In a banking relationship, you would have a banker that you know, someone that's on your speed dial to where if you, for instance, needed to write a check um, today, even though that you're not going to have the money to cover it until tomorrow. And I know for one, that's happened to me in my business where I knew I had a deposit coming. Uh, it was even already done through credit cards. I was just waiting for it to hit and I needed to, to pay this one bill. Because I had a relationship with the bank, I was able to get that uh, check cleared and let the deposit come the next day. Without that kind of a relationship, you cannot do that. So just having a big bank, it doesn't help you. You have to have the relationship. Another key relationship or advisor is you need to have an insurance broker and someone that can tell you, how do I cover my business with insurance products? Now we may not be able to afford all of those coverages, but again, you know what what is available, and then you make some educated decisions and start buying what you can afford at the time. Another relationship uh, that you have to have, I think, is a business coach. It's uh, As a solopreneur especially, it's very difficult to operate a business, be the visionary, be the implementer, and not have someone else that's looking at your business with you from a bird's eye perspective, like like you like you do, Henry, and like I do with other people. It's just really helpful to have someone else giving, holding you accountable, telling you when you're doing a good job, and giving you some more perspective. And then finally, uh, you need to have a business lawyer that can help you keep your business between the legal lines and make sure that when when something happens in business, and in our day and time, it's uh, with litigation being like it is. It's not. It's no longer if I'm going to. It's when. Um, so that you're set up in a way that your business isn't going to crater and, and collapse if there's one legal bump in the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That would be the first strategy. Yeah. So those, those are the five key advisors. And I, I agree with that completely. Um, and as I go through the list, uh, that's what I try to do in my business. But again, what we're talking about today, I would say out of all those five, the attorney is the one that I don't have ongoing dialogue with, uh, I treat them as most people have traditionally. I, I call them when I have a problem. Uh, I might call them when I need to draft a, a new operating agreement or a new contract perhaps. And I know even some people skip that, but, but I don't have necessarily an ongoing relationship with an attorney. And that's, that's where you're helping people make that shift of treating that not as a 
go to it when I need the emergency, like the ER doctor, but ongoing, just like I take care of myself from a physical perspective and have regular checkups, right? Yeah, and kind of how that works, Henry, is that right now we have 55 small business owners uh, that are in our plan, and, I, and we spend a half hour every month with those clients on the telephone or through a Zoom meeting face-to-face -face, uh, sometimes, uh, going through what's happening in their business, making sure that we're connected with them and that we know how they're doing things so that we can notice and spot problems before they happen. Right. And that's such a key thing. So I want to jump in there because that's, I think that's one of the biggest areas of help that you're offering them is you can immediately spot and say, whoa, wait, wait a second, Henry, you're exposing yourself there with that plan or service or action to this potential liability, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the truth is that most business owners, especially small business owners, they sometimes don't even know if, this, if it is a legal issue or question. Right, right. They just know they have a question. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't cost extra money, they're more likely to ask the question. And so by eliminating that barrier, business owners are able to get that information. For example, uh, we have a client that is a uh, online uh, personal trainer and, and physical fitness coach. He... Uh, he, during one of his calls with us, mentioned a contract he was getting ready to sign uh, for some kind of a, it was actually a modeling type deal. And he said, I, I was just going to sign it. Should I have you look at it? Well, sure, send it over. <laughs> we looked at it and found several things in it in the memo that we produced him that were reasons we wouldn't have signed it. Yeah. Uh, and, and those things would have cost him about $20,000 had he signed it. It's amazing. I, I mean, for me, I have a hard rule that anything that I'm going to sign that it's, that's a contract that's committing me, I have to have an attorney review it. But, but, you know, the thing that comes to mind is to, I know for me, one of the hesitancies, and this is common for entrepreneurs, is some attorneys can scare you to not doing anything, right? Because everything has a potential risk. And what I found is sometimes attorneys will overdo it with instead of helping me decide here, here are your risks and exposures. But as an entrepreneur, I know that I'm taking some of those risks sometimes, right? And I'm not talking about doing something illegal or something that's definitely going to get me in trouble or the example you gave of this is going to potentially cost you this. But often what happens and why I think we're adverse sometimes to seeking the legal advice is we feel like the attorney is going to talk us out of this, this idea because he's going to share with me all of the 50 different ways it can go badly. You understand what I'm saying? Sure. There's a, the, the deal killer. Yes. Um, yes. No, that's, and that's, that's a very real thing. Uh, I think one of the ways that, that I'm different and the professionals that work with us here are different is that I, I'm, I consider myself a lawyerpreneur. Uh, I'm always looking at other ways that I can make money that aren't necessarily uh, just law. Um, I'm also looking at ways to practice law differently. So we're constantly on the on the cutting edge. So I too am taking risks because I don't know exactly how this is going to work. When we created the access plan, there are very few attorneys across the country doing anything close to it, and no one was doing it at the price points that I wanted to do it where I could really help lots of small business people. And so I'm right there with you and taking the risks. So I understand that there's always risk involved. And sometimes we're not, uh, even we won't be able to see the risks, but we can walk through it with you. Um, and that can help minimize them because 
uh, as we as we know, uh, small hinges swing big doors. And so, mm. if you have that really close contact with with a legal professional as you're making these decisions to start a new business operation, and you start getting new data, new information in, well, we can help you guide that ship to try to avoid the legal problems. Where if you start it without without a lawyer's help and it starts going south, by the time you get to the lawyer, it may be too late to salvage. Yeah. Yeah. But that balance of perspective that you have is the key thing. And I suppose we'll get a little bit more into it in a moment that that's one of the things I need to look for when I'm looking to hire an attorney, right? Do, do they have that perspective that you described? Because I, I would say that in my experience, I'm you know, not going to put any percentage to it, but a large number of attorneys in my experience do not have that perspective. I agree. Yeah. All right. So, that, so one strategy you articulated there gave me great examples is those, those five key advisors, one of them being the attorney. We've talked about how to use an attorney here differently. What are some of the other, when you help these clients, some of the other ways to shatterproof a small business and maybe look at it from the perspective of what are some of the common things you see that you're able to help them with to avoid those disasters in our small business? Well, the, the next strategy and happens to be one of the most common things I see them doing wrong is that you have to establish your business on a solid foundation, which is you need to have an entity. You need to have a limited liability company, maybe a corporation, but you have to have one of those things. You can't operate as a, a sole proprietor anymore. There's just too much risk uh, that everything that you build and take out of your business is at risk at home if you're acting as a sole proprietor. It, I, am, I am exhausted of trying to tell people that, that I consult with, especially in my role as a mentor with SCORE. Um, mm -hmm. And so articulate for us a little bit more that the exposure, I think, maybe it's not obvious to people as to what they're putting on the line when they operate as a sole proprietor. Yeah, I mean, the reason that you're, you've, you start a small business is you have some goal, life goal or dream that the business will help you achieve. Usually that means that we're going to make money in the business, take it out, and then buy things at home, whether it's a fancy house, fancy cars, boats, uh, pay for your, you know, save money for a retirement or for your children's education. That's what we would call our personal net worth and assets. If we, if we run a business as a sole proprietorship or a mom and pop type shop, um, then the business and our personal are one in the same. There is no wall between them. And if something happens in your business that creates liability, then they can come straight through the business to the stuff you have at home uh, and take it from you. So everything's at risk. If you take the simple step of creating a legal entity Either, either an LLC or a corporation will, will help you do this. It creates a wall between your business and your personal life. And a, what I call a predator-creditor, someone that you, don't, you haven't signed an agreement with, who's coming to try to take your stuff, can't go through that wall. So whatever's in your business, that, that will be fair game. Yeah. But anything outside of your business uh, is not. And so it's, it's imperative that they have at least that one entity. And we actually have a very, uh, a very advanced asset protection structure that we teach most of our small business owners to do uh, so that they can even be what even be more shatterproof than just having one LLC, for instance. Right. And, and of course, my understanding is that, of course, I need to operate that entity as a standalone business, no commingling of funds and other things, because if I do those things, 
I could open myself up to that veil being pierced, if you will, or as they say, and me being subject to personal liability. Is that correct? That, that's correct. And that's why you need, if you go back to the first strategy is you need to have the advisors around you that can be watching how you're running it and say, Hey, well, you can't be, you can't do that. Uh, or you're going to mess up what you've set up. Right. Um, it, you don't see, we don't see in litigation, the corporate veil being pierced uh, a whole lot, uh, but it, it does happen some. And so it's something that as a, as a member of an LLC or a shareholder in a corporation, you would want to make sure that you're doing those things right. And that's, that's kind of part of the service we provide is trying to make sure that you stay between those lines. Yeah. And so Scott, to that point, I've heard some attorneys say, and I've had clients who come to me and say, Oh, my attorney said that, you know, it doesn't matter. You can act as a sole proprietor because an LLC or corporation is not going to protect you anyway. They can still sue you personally. What do you say to that? Uh, You can sue anyone uh, for anything at any time. So you definitely could get sued, Um, but you can get out of it very quickly. If you're, you're doing a couple of really simple things. Every agreement that your business does is signed is, is in the name of the business. And then the signature on it is your name with your title, either you know CEO, president, or even just member of the LLC. It's never in your person, just your personal name. Um, if you do those things, then it's very easy to get someone's personal name out of that. And a, and a, a good lawyer, when they're starting in the lawsuit, will be looking at those documents and they only will sue the people that are personally responsible. And so as long as if you're running your stuff right, your risk of actually being coming into a lawsuit in, in your personal name is really pretty low. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's been my experience as well. So thanks for clarifying that. This is Henry Lopez. Before we continue with this episode, I have a few questions for you. Are you struggling with getting started or making the transition from your corporate job to starting your own business? Or are you a current small business owner who needs help with managing and growing your business? Are you ready to invest in your future? I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. Just text BIZCOACH to 31996 for more information. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business dreams and goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are facing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions so that you can make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more or to schedule your free coaching session, just text BIZCOACH to 31996 now. That's B-I-Z-C-O-A-C-H, BIZCOACH, to 31996 or visit thehowabusiness.com. All right, so we talked about the the five key advisors, uh, the legal entity we've just touched on is a huge one, and I, I think it's a, it's a big one. Again, what I see with a lot of the people I talk to is they don't want to spend the money to create an entity. So let's just talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. I do advise, and I have created my own entity or used online services to create them. I will say that the caveat in all of those cases is I'm the sole owner. I don't have partners. I know you recommend not to go that route to hire an attorney. Tell me about why that is and, and your thoughts on that. Well, there, there's, there's several steps that you really need to take to form an LLC, even for a single member. 
uh, th they're not complicated, but there's some steps. The first is you file a certificate of formation or some states and articles of organization with the state secretary of state. And that's kind of the very first step. Then the next thing you, you should do is create an operating agreement for how that LLC will be run so that everyone can see that it's, this is a real legitimate separate business entity from me, me the person. And then the third thing you do is you hold an organizational meeting, sometimes with yourself, uh, at, and approve the filing and creation of the LLC and that operating agreement. And by doing those three steps, it's very clear to the world that you have a legitimate business. The importance of having an operating agreement, even when it's just you, is that at some point in the future, someone else may own your business. It could be because something happens to you, uh, you, uh, you die, uh, and your heirs own your business, and there's multiple heirs, and now they need to know how do we operate this as, as multiple business owners. Uh, you may decide to sell your business, which many of us are, are growing businesses with the sole purpose of selling them. Um, having an operating agreement that's in order is something that they look for when they're wanting to buy a business so they can see this one has been run correctly, even if they don't do a share or membership interest purchase, if they just did an asset purchase, it's still helpful for them to see that you've run this thing correctly. Yeah. And you just, you can you do it on your own? Sure. Um, many, many of you are, uh, are able to do that. Um, I, I don't, I don't drill my own teeth. I don't work on my own car. Uh, I have, I, I go to the people that are good at that and have them do it for me. And could I save money and do it myself? Maybe. Uh, but if I don't do it correctly and then have a problem later, it's usually more expensive to fix it. At least that's been my wife's experience whenever I've tried to fix things at my house um, is that it's always more expensive to pay the contractor to fix what I've messed up. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. And, and so a couple of points and a follow-up question here. Uh, my point, uh, I do it myself only when it's myself. And you've clarified why I still need more mm -hmm. than that. Uh, I definitely recommend to anybody who's listening, anybody that I coach, if you have a partner involved, you must get an attorney involved to draft that operating agreement because it gets a lot more complex. But great point also about even if it's just myself, what happens when I die? So those are all great points. But you touched on the showstopper, and that is the cost. And here's the scenario. A lot of very small business owners like myself, when I started, you know, we've barely got the money put together to launch the business. In my experience, it's going to be, you know, $1,000 or more sometimes with an attorney to create the entity for me. And so what some people will say is, well, can I, can I operate as a sole proprietor for a while? And then when I've got enough revenues, I will start, I will, I'll pay an attorney to create the LLC. What do you say to that person? Well, I have to say you can. Uh, and the fact is I did. When I started my firm in 05 in February, I didn't actually form my PLLC until July. Um, and nothing bad happened, uh, but it could have. I, I was just so busy uh, trying to run my new business that I kind of just didn't get around to doing that step. Uh, you know, the, the, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Uh, and so I made it. And so, yeah, you, you definitely can do that. Um, but it's a little bit like trying to build a house and then come back and putting the foundation underneath right. it. Right. Um, if you get a little too far down the road that it can be difficult and 
when you can do it for a thousand dollars, like it was the number that you mentioned, it, if you don't have a thousand dollars to spend on starting the business right, maybe you need to wait 30 more days and start it right. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. How about if, if, if does it make you feel any better if I at least have uh, an umbrella policy or a liability, commercial liability policy in place? It, it makes me feel better that they won't ultimately take your stuff. Uh, but uh, the other side of that is that everything's in your personal name. So if there is a lawsuit, it will be you named personally, which then freezes all of your assets. Mm -hmm. So you don't have the ability to buy and sell things. You're, you're really stuck until, until your insurance company finally settles that claim, which could take years. Yeah. They, yeah. they have no obligation to do it quickly. And uh, I've, 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 litig I've litigated for a long time. Uh, I spent a lot, a lot of time on the plaintiff's side and that you're, you're trying to get to a settlement fast, but that never happens until the defense lawyers have made a little bit of money. They, uh, you know, they aren't doing it for free. And so they work the case before they advise uh, the adjusters to settle it. Yeah. No, great insights. Appreciate that. All right. Another topic that you talk about often is you call it the art of documenting the deal. And this is related to another big area where small business owners make a lot of mistakes. But so let's talk about that. What do you mean by documenting the deal? You need to have a, a ride, a writing that establishes what the parameters are of whatever transaction you're going into. And most people think of, okay, I'm going to have to have this 15, 20 page legal document between me and, uh, and farmer Brown before we can have this contract. And while I might think that's good, uh, I know that's not practical. And so sometimes the transactions are small. Sometimes you're in a hurry, but you can still document them. If you follow a few, uh, you know, a few steps, there's about eight things that I would say you need to have in every little transaction you do, whether it's on a napkin or in emails, uh, which is a, a, another point that you can actually, anything that you agree to in an email exchange is actually a contract. So if you can just put the key terms of your deal, how much money is changing hands, when's it changing hands, what happens if, it, if someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do, who are the actual parties to this agreement, um, what are the timetables for when I have to do something or the timetables for when you have to do something. If you put all those things into a really nice tight email, you can have an enforceable written agreement that would hold up in court, isn't so scary that the other parties aren't going to agree to it. Um, and you've got a, a deal that's documented. Would there be things I want to add to it? Sure. If you brought it to me, I'd want to add a lot of things to it, but you're a lot better off than if you just shake hands uh, after having a conversation about what we're going to do, get 30, 30 days into the deal and then have a disagreement as to what the agreement was. Yeah. Anything better, anything is better than a verbal agreement or remember you said that, or I said this, and that's such a great tip. Just to document it over an email is a lot better than, than just uh, relying on what we talked about. Because usually you're, it's, you're dealing with honest people and honest people want to be honest, but we don't have the same perceptions or memories. And so if we can go back to a written document, then most honest people will go, oh, okay, you're right. I didn't remember that. Yeah. No, I agree. It, it happens. I see it all the time, even in partnerships where, where I, didn't, I didn't quite understand it that way. Well, maybe we never really talked about it to that level of detail that, that you're not going to bring your wife into the business, for example. And it's simple things like that. Um, 
you also talk about, you know, a lot of the folks that you help are uh, people like me, a business coach, a consultant, a service provider, where we're, we're agreeing to provide a service on a regular basis. And like you said, I don't want to put a 20 page contract in front of each client. So you've got some ideas on how to address that as well. If it's beyond an email, obviously. Sure. And, and like you mentioned our access plan, my access plan agreement is two pages. It's the, as a front or front and back, it's the, the front page is kind of the, the bones of the deal. And then there's the terms and conditions on the back. It's very simple. Um, and most, most regular transactions can be done that way. There are some, the sale of a business, right. there's some, there's some bigger transactions that we really need to go into some detail but most, most transactions I can document in two to three pages in something that is friendly and that your customer, your client would want to sign. Because that's a problem I see a lot. We mentioned the deal killer attorneys earlier is that they'll write these contracts that are so uh, airtight, have so many, you know, so many teeth in them that you know, only a fool would sign them. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can't do business. And so we try to help our clients create legal documents that are enforceable, but that promote the business that they're trying to do. Because if you can't, if you can't get a sale, it doesn't matter if some, whether someone's going to sue you or not, we, we have to get a sale. And so we have to have legal parameters that around it that are, are friendly and that people will want to do business with us. Absolutely. Could agree with you more there. So on the flip side of that, when I'm signing something, you talk about some questions to ask yourself to avoid signer's remorse. Uh, walk us through a couple of those key questions that I should ask myself. Yeah. Uh, the, the first one is who are the parties to this contract? Uh, is it individuals? You know, is it Henry and Scott or uh, are there some LLCs or corporations that are actually doing the contract? So uh, I'd ask that question and even it would be appropriate to want to see the actual certificates uh, of the birth certificates for these companies. So we know exactly who to put in the, the names on the blanks in our document. And then the next question that I'd want to, you always want to ask is what are the dollars involved? And, and you want to make sure those are very clear. The next question that you want to ask uh, or highlight in a contract you're reviewing is what are the deadlines uh, that I'm responsible for? And look and go through and highlight all the dates in that agreement so that you know, these are the dates, or maybe it says 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, instead of an actual date. And then you, can I do those? Are those reasonable? And then once you've done that, then you want to look at what happens in this deal if something goes wrong? Mm. What happens to me? What would I have to pay? Are there liquidated damages? Uh, what's, what's, what happens if this goes wrong? Because deals do go wrong. And then the next thing I'd want to look at and make sure is in there is, a clause that tells me what happens if we get into a fight. And that would be uh, usually a, me a mediation clause. Sometimes people will put an arbitration clause in there. Uh, arbitration can be expensive. Uh, but let's, let's, let's put into every agreement we do some way that will force us to try to resolve it before it goes to court. Got it. And if you'll kind of follow some of those very basic tips when you're reviewing a document, uh, you can really avoid uh, signing, signing a deal that you very quickly regret. Great tips. Going back to the first one, what am I looking for there on, on the who, especially if it's a legal entity? What am I, what am I concerned with there? You want to know the actual legal name of the entity. And so the easiest way to do that is, is let me get it from the, your customer and then go to your local, 
your secretary of state, that every one of them has a place where you can search for business names. Right. And then you type in the name they gave you and up will pop uh, the name of the LLC or corporation. I mean, even where the comma is, is important, right? All the stuff's important. And it will easily even tell you if they're in good standing mm-hmm. with their, with their state. Okay. And then that's the name you want to put in the contract because we want to make sure we have the right people or parties to the deal. Right. To hold accountable and that are actually agreeing to deliver whatever product or service it is. Uh, number two on the money is I think that's particularly important to avoid an agreement that is vague on, well, if this happens, then we'll charge you this or, you know, so it should be as clear as possible as to how, what money is being exchanged here. Is that part of what the point you're making there? Yes. And how much money is being exchanged? When's it being exchanged and what has to happen to trigger those payments? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. Great. Love it. Those are great actionable tips. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, What else have I not asked you about that you see that's a common mistake that small business owners make as it relates to legal issues or they get them in legal trouble? You know, one of the big, uh, big mistakes that a lot of people are, are missing is they're not, especially, you know, we mentioned I work with some coaches, speakers, and trainers. Um, a lot of us are, are creating online content. Um, even people that are just doing marketing online, you're creating content that someone may steal from you. And the only way you can prevent that is by actually registering some of that content and protecting it. If it's a written document, like an article or a book or an online course, that would be copyrightable. And so you can register that with the United States Copyright Office for like less than $100. It's not very expensive. Um, Or if you've got a brand that you're trying to protect, uh, you know, such as my access plan, or I've got a trademark right now that's in process for lawyerpreneur, um, then once you've filed those with the uh, trademark office or copyright office, then you can stop other people from using them and actually recoup possibly the profits that you have lost because this other person is pirating your stuff. Uh, and that's, re- it really is happening out there. Um, I've, I've, I've had clients that have created things that other people then they may pay them for it the first time. And then they start taking it and making it their own and reselling it, not just using it in their business, but reselling it and acting like it's their, content. And if you haven't taken the steps of protecting that information with the, the government, you're very limited on what you can do to, to get it back. And I've yeah. seen, it, it seems like a real pain, but if you don't do it uh, in this world where, where, where every business, it seems anymore is so content heavy, um, you could really end up on the wrong end of a deal where you've got a, a brand name, for instance, uh, I've got a client that had a brand name that had been in existence for more than a decade when they bought the business, they had it owned it five years when they came to me and they had never trademarked the name. Hmm. And when we went to do our trademark search, there were so many conflicting names uh, that we were really concerned that they were infringing on other people's trademarks. And so we had to really do some uh, legal dancing to make sure we could get them the protection they needed they were at risk of having to rebrand this 15 plus year old business because they hadn't taken the basic step of filing a trademark application for their company name. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge one. My understanding or my question is my understanding of how patents work is that if, if I don't actively enforce infringement or take action on infringement, I kind of begin to lose some rights there. I'm expressing it loosely. Do those, some of those same principles apply 
to trademarks and registration or copyrights rather. In other words, do I lose any rights uh, to those because I don't go after people who are infringing on it? If you've registered it, you're not going to lose any rights by not noticing someone's inf infringing. Mm -hmm. If you haven't gone through the trouble of registering it, uh, then you're going to end up kind of landlocked where now you're in Capel, Texas, and you can use your brand in Capel, Texas, but you can't use it anywhere else in the country because other people have been using it and you've let them use it for a lot of time. And I then they, they went and registered the trademark before you did. I see. So time, time is a, an element. And so it's one of those foundational things that look, when we're starting this business, as soon as we know that this is a brand we're going to use, get the domain for it and then get the trademark for it. Yeah. All right. Here's a question that I always get asked and, and that I, you know, I have some ideas on, but when somebody uh, would ask you and you can't, you can't help them, how do I find a good lawyer for my small business? What are some tips you offer or would offer? What questions should I be asking to find someone that, you know, fits everything that we've talked about, right? That, that balance between legal advice, but also not being a deal killer. Uh, someone that that does really is dedicated to small business owners that understands the sensitivity I have to to expenses. How do I find that person, in your opinion? Well, I, Henry, I think it is hard to find. But the, here's some questions that you're going to want to ask. One is you're going to want to talk to them about how how do you bill your clients, and if it's by the hour, that's not someone that you're going to be able to work with on a uh, on an advice uh, type method. Uh, the other thing is you want to ask them, how do you charge for, for telephone communication? In other words, are you going to charge me every time I call you and ask you a question? You're looking for a lawyer that has some sort of a model that includes the ability for you to ask them questions, either for like a flat rate where I can pay $200 a month and ask two questions, uh, but I know what it's going to cost me. Uh, and I'm not going to get billed by the hour for that. Um, or there's some kind of a subscription model where it's all included. But that's, that's the kind of questions you want to ask. And then the other thing I'd want to know from them is what kind of uh, other small businesses do they work with and, uh, and talk to them about uh, your entrepreneurial dream and your vision and see if they even understand mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. if, they don't, if they don't get excited about what you're talking about, they're probably not a good choice for you as someone to advise you in your entrepreneurial journey. They're going to be a deal killer. They're going to be uh, a killjoy. You're looking for someone that is going to be a partner, a team member with you that is excited about what you're trying to do and things that they can help you uh, do better. Wonderful. I love that. That's the first time I've actually gotten some good actionable tips on what to look for and how to find the right attorney. So I appreciate that. All right, we've touched on it, but tell me uh, what the action plan is all about, the, the service that you offer. Yeah, the, uh, we, we have a subscription-based plan because like we talked about, we wanted to get away from hourly billing. And so we have four different levels to our plan. The, the first level is our essential plan that starts at $195 a month. We then have an executive plan, a premier plan, and then an enterprise-level plan. Um, and they kind of really fit uh, any, any different business level, it really depends on how much, how much you want to partake of the legal services. Uh, some of it's budget driven and some of it's maybe like Henry's very comfortable creating some of his own LLC documents. And so he wants to do that 
and then run it past me. Okay, that's fine. Um, then you, then he would be a really good executive level client and only pay three ninety five a month. If Henry wants me to pr prepare all of his LLCs for him, then he'd want to be a premier level client where we actually will create those documents as part of the plan for seven ninety five a month. And if you're just like, if Henry decides, hey, I want Scott and his team to just do everything for me from a legal perspective, then that would be an inter enterprise level plan and that's $2,500 a month. Uh, which sounds like a lot of money, but if you're operating four or five different entities, have several different income streams, uh, and are tired of trying to figure out what legal risks you have for each of them, it's really not. And so we have several clients that have opted for that level. But we have a level for everyone, and the key to all of them is that they all give you access to our legal team uh, for no extra money. So you don't have, if you want, if you, you have an SOS call built into your plan and you call us and we talk to you for 30 minutes, you don't get a bill. It's included in your plan. And as you go up the levels, you get more and more of that contact to where once you get to premier level, you have unlimited telephone access to me and the team and you, you have our cell phone numbers. So you can text us a question if you're in a meeting. Um, and so it gives you the ability to, you know, you really have that general counsel feel like the fortune 500 companies have. And, and there's a reason that there's a ton of lawyers in those companies. It's because the, they realize that they need that information on demand. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, here's an analogy would be that if, if, if Henry drove by my house uh, today and, sa and saw smoke coming out of my roof and called me and said, Scott, I just saw smoke coming out of your roof of your house. We call the fire department. They put the fire out, right? It was accurate information at the right time. If he drove by my house, saw the smoke coming out, called me a day later and said, Scott, I was by your house yesterday. I saw smoke coming out of there. Hope you took care of it. I'd say, Henry, I wish you would have called me. My house completely burned down. Right. Information was very accurate. It was just not timely. You have to, as small business owners, you have to have it at the right time because one day could make all the difference. And so by buying your access ahead of time with one of these plans, you're, you're able to be in the game at any moment and get a, a legal question asked. You're in the middle of a meeting. You can step out of that meeting and say, I'm going to text my lawyer really quickly. You get an answer to the question, go back in the meeting, make the deal. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the power of, of, of being an access client. And tell me the, the basic plan price per month is the starting plan. Yeah. The, the starting point is 195 a month yeah. uh, and it's a very, uh, it's a very low entry point and you get a few touch points with us. Uh, and then as you get more comfortable and say, okay, we need more, we need more Scott, then we can move you up the ladder. And we have clients that move back and forth between the different plans, depending on different seasons in their business. They're in a real growth mode. Okay. I need more services. We'll bump them up to the bump up a level. Okay. We're kind of going to slow down for a little bit, take them down a level. We never want to, to hurt, hurt a small business by our legal fees. And mm -hmm. so if we need to change the plan around for you, then that's, that's what we do. Okay, great. No, it's very accessible. And again, you know, some of us are spending more than that on, you know, somebody doing SEO for us and we don't know what we're really getting there. Um, here, at least at, even at that base plan, it begins to shift this relationship with our legal advisor, with our attorney as we've been talking about in this episode. And I think that's, that's one of the key takeaways for me here of this conversation. Um, but before we do wrap up, uh, I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there one that you would recommend to us? 
Yeah, I would recommend uh, Chet Holmes' Ultimate Sales Machine. It's one of the first books that I read um, in this entrepreneurial journey uh, back in 2012. Uh, I actually recommended by my business coach. And it really, the, the takeaway for me was that I need to be using, doing educational marketing. And it really gave me some framework for how to not be selling just to my end client or customer, but selling and marketing to the people that have my customer or client already. For me, that's uh, business coaches, CPAs, uh, business bankers. They already have all of the people that I want to help. Mm -hmm. And so if I can introduce them to what we do and how we help people, then they automatically share that information with their customers. And that's a lot less expensive uh, than trying to market to individual business owners. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. Yep. We'll have a link to that book as well as Scott's book. Again, is called Five Proven Strategies to Shatterproof Your Business. We'll have links to those books on the show notes page for this episode. All right. Last couple of questions here, Scott. What's, what's one thing that you would like us to take away from this conversation we've had about shatterproofing our small business? I think the one thing is that you've got to make a paradigm shift that legal advice is not something that you get only in emergencies. You need to go ahead and find a lawyer, use some of the questions that we talked about to find a lawyer that's, that's on your side, on your team at a, at a, with a, some sort of a reasonable package to where you're ready for the storm. Otherwise you're having to buy plywood in the middle of a hurricane and that's just not where you want to be as a small business owner. Agreed. And where would you like us to go online to find out more? If you'll go to reblaw.com forward slash the how, T-H-E-H-O-W, uh, we've got a link there for you for some special uh, white papers. One is the how you can form uh, binding contracts with emails, a link to an ebook for you, and then actually a business law masterclass, and of course, information about the access plans. Excellent. Great resources there. I appreciate that. And if you didn't catch that, it's again, his website for slash the how we'll have that link on the show notes page as well. Scott, this has been a great episode. I've learned quite a bit. Thanks for, for sharing with us actionable and practical tips that we can take as small business owners and apply it. I appreciate you spending the time to be with us today. It was a real pleasure, Henry. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. Again, my guest today was Scott Reeb. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. You can also text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and we'll send you a link to more information, including links to the show note pages. Thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.